What's the deal with Rollmaster? Why did we love it back in the 1980s? And does the recent release of Rollmaster Unified invigorate us to play it again? Hey, it's Che, and this is Roleplay Rescue. Hello Rescuers, my name is Che Webster and this is Roleplay Rescue, the podcast about rediscovering our passion for tabletop roleplaying games. Now back in episode 1 I declared that I was embarking on a new quest. It's a journey into the deep past to find a new pathway towards enjoying the games I like to play in the way that I most enjoy playing them. Today I want to take a trip back to 1980 and revisit the fantasy roleplaying game we played the most in that formative decade. And then I'll take an initial peek at the latest edition of that same game and contemplate what I might do with it. This is Season 12, Episode 13, Rollmaster Unified. They call it Rollmaster Classic these days, but back in the 1980s it was just Rollmaster. When I joined the Nottingham RPG Club in 1998, my then new friend Ian referred to it as chart master because of the combat charts used to resolve attacks but you know what back in the day i never thought of it that way it was simply rollmaster and it was the game we played the most as a fantasy rpg rollmaster was a step deep into the more so-called realistic territory that i sought back in the 1980s i think alongside palladium fantasy roleplay rollmaster moved me deeper into detail it has multiple skills, a percentile die rolling system, a different combat chart for each type of weapon, and a very innovative system for magic spells. This was the game we played for 24 hours and used to delve all of Moria. It was the game that spawned my most famous and best remembered character, Goriel Swiftfoot, the halfling who slayed the Balrog. But more on Moria, perhaps in a minute. Of course, Rollmaster wasn't really designed as a coherent system at first. It began life as a supplement for other fantasy games, such as D&D. I remember using arms and claw lore long before we got character lore, spell lore, and campaign lore, the titles of the core rulebooks. I think it was probably Daniel, our first GM, who must have picked up the first edition of arms lore, which we used with AD&D for a short while. But once Rollmaster 2nd Edition came out in 1984, we moved almost exclusively to playing it for our fantasy adventures. Combined with the Iron Crown Middle-Earth supplements, this became an exciting and rich period of play. One campaign lasted around five years, played six days a week. Yes, we had a heck of a lot more time back when we were teens. And that campaign only really ended when we left for our universities in 1989, never to reform the group. Nowadays you can buy Rollmaster Classic from Iron Crown and discover the rich and exciting game almost as it was back in the day and it holds up well. I got into Fantasy Grounds online simply to play Rollmaster Classic, still the very best VTT implementation of the game I know of. One of my first online games on Roll20 was also played using this edition of Rollmaster. In fact, 
I actually went on to recollect all of the titles for not only Classic Rollmaster, but also all of the other editions. As it stands, I have a copy of every book that was published, and most of them in paper. It's a game I will never part with, even if it seems unlikely that I'll ever play it again. But how did Rollmaster influence me? I think that it drew me deeper into D100 gaming. A throwback, perhaps, to my RuneQuest beginnings but it showed me that you could develop a very rich gaming experience through detailed characterization. I absolutely loved the combat system, allowing for critical hits and descriptive critical effects. And most of all, and perhaps oddly, Rollmaster drew me more and more towards a lower fantasy flavor of magic. Rollmaster's spell law organizes magic spells into spell lists, each with a particular theme or flavor. The idea is that a wizard would master the simpler spells at low level and then master greater magic that builds on those simpler spells. For example, I seem to recall that the fire law spell list starts with conjuring flames long before you can fling firebolts and, much later, fireballs. This approach is what warms me to games like GURPS, which have similarly logical progressions of spell learning. It's like the authors of Rollmaster took magic seriously and tried to work out a reasoned collection of powers very far cry from the mixed bag of spells in Dungeons and Dragons. One side effect of Rollmaster's more down-to-earth and logical approach to magic, which is also encountered in the herbs and magic systems, was, as I said before, this drawing me towards low magical feel in my games. I don't really enjoy superheroic flavourings, especially not in modern D&D, for example, largely because I don't see fantasy adventures as being heroic. I think for me, back in the day, D&D was originally about the acquisition of power and wealth. Rollmaster took up those more grounded ideas and made them less abstract, a bit more scientific and rooted in their mechanics. The result, at least in my mind, was drawing me into fantasy realms in which dragons were seriously scary because adventurers could very barely match them. It's a theme that has remained with me until today. Back in the 1980s, it was a detailed combat system with its critical strike rules that appealed to us the most. We were also attracted to the publication of modules detailing Middle-earth, although, to be honest, we didn't really get into Middle-earth role-playing because coming after Rollmaster itself, it was felt to be Rollmaster light, not as satisfying. My most memorable game was the 24-hour charity one we played in which we delved the Mines of Moria that most famed underworld location in Middle-earth. We were playing with Rollmaster largely because it felt like a proper grown-up kind of a game and my new friends were encouraging us to play it. But mostly, I think we were looking for an excuse to stay up all night and play more of the game. We turned it into a sponsored charity event and got the parents to let us play around my mate Duncan's house. We had an absolute blast, but we weren't trying to recreate some kind of imagined movie based on The Lord of the Rings, very far from it. The most memorable moment in the game was when Goriel Swiftfoot, a Shire Hobbit, leapt 60 feet into the air and decapitated the Balrog of Moria with one sweep of his sword sword. Which doesn't sound very grounded now I say it out loud. I absolutely know that it shouldn't have happened that way by the strict interpretation of the rules of Rollmaster. But I don't think that really mattered to us until long after, when I would retell the tale and people would ask how that was possible, given Goriel's slight stature and him not having any super Olympian powers but what happened of course is that we just over exuberantly described the outcome from a critical hit table a lucky high roll which said that Goriel chopped off his foe's head perhaps it was because we were overtired or pumped full of sugary treats I don't know but you know what I've never forgotten that game and I've never forgotten that character 
2015, I took part in the Rollmaster Unified playtest. Yep, that was eight years ago, and it wasn't until December 2022 that the first of the five tomes for Rollmaster Unified, Core Law, featuring Character Law, Arms Law, and Game Master Law, was actually released. It was updated to fix mistakes in March 2023, and I have a copy of the hardcover at long, long last. But what's all this Unified business? Thinking back to 2015, I think the intent was to create a new edition of Rollmaster which brought together the best elements of the two longest-lived and well-developed editions. Thus, Unified brings into Unity Rollmaster Classic and the Rollmaster Fantasy Roleplaying Game editions. It was a project that caused much controversy, but the Friday Night Roleplay group played it and tested it over many months until the public beta was ended. Since then, I've been waiting for the release. Eight years later, I'm finally able to sit down and explore the new Rollmaster Unified edition, even though only two of the promised five books have been released. Quote, There are five books which form the foundations of this edition of Rollmaster. Rollmaster Core Law, containing all the core rules in three parts. Creature Law, containing stats for hundreds of animals, monsters and fantastical creatures. Creature Law will be released in two volumes as fantasy settings are often home to a variety of beasts, Creature Law 2 contains rules for creating new monsters for new and unusual settings. Spell Law is a magic system with thousands of spells organised into three realms of magic. This provides characters with a wide variety of spell-using options for all types of professions. Spells are organised into lists, which are related in a theme. Treasure Law is a book of treasure, equipment and commerce, an important part of any RPG. Rules for crafting mundane objects as well as magical items are included along with the alchemist professions. End quote. As I record this, only Core Law and Spell Law are released. This is somewhat disappointing because just as it was back in 1982 when Rollmaster released the first box set, there are not yet any stats for creatures. For now, you have to build NPCs using Core Law rules um, not a totally bad thing because there are plenty of playable species on offer, but still, it's annoying that it's coming out piecemeal. But then, I guess Iron Crown figure it's best to have the core law book out and selling rather than sit on it for another year or more. I'm only really beginning to scratch the surface of the new edition of Rollmaster. As with most role-playing games, you don't really understand a game enough to judge it until you've played it for a while. My goal is to begin with some solo sessions and then try to arrange, I don't know, half a dozen sessions with some players. So if you are interested in playing Rollmaster Unified with me, please call in and let me know. That said, I'd like to talk through my first impressions of Core Law and how it feels to be back building characters for Rollmaster. Quote, Rollmaster Core Law contains all the core rules in three parts. Character Law contains a set of rules for creating rich and detailed characters with a complete and comprehensive skill system, as well as optional talents that can be used to enrich characters further. Arms Law contains rules for tactical combat amongst individuals and small groups using a detailed simulation of weapons and armour. Its combat system features the mechanics of attacks from weapons and animals to elemental attacks. Colourful criticals and fumble results make every combat interesting and memorable. Game Master Law offers helpful guidance to Game Masters, as well as rules and guidelines for adding setting rules, such as creating races, cultures and professions. Poison, disease and other hazards that may come up in play are also covered. The first thing to say was that although many specifics have changed, it's still the familiar game I remember and have played over many years. 
It certainly offers a larger range of choices in relation to species, cultures and professions than most games. This is the benefit of 40 or more years of development, I suppose. I always enjoyed the big range of options in Rollmaster, and I appreciate this wide choice today, even if I don't reckon much to some of the actual species. The use of the kobold as another underground-dwelling form of a short humanoid, and not at all the lizard-like D&D idea of kobolds, that was particularly jarring, and I'm not sure why you need dwarves, kobolds, gnomes, and gnolls, and no, not the hyena folk, yet another mountain-dwelling species that look taller than gnomes, but hey, I can easily ignore them for my worlds. The second thing to say is that I largely dislike the artwork throughout, I know this is very subjective, but the art is very cartoonish and some images are just plain not my idea of heroic fantasy. One example sees a large giant-like character carrying two smaller characters, one in a harness at the front with no weapons, a bit like a baby harness, while the other balances on the big one's head, apparently casting a spell. I'm pretty sure there are some big penalties for that sort of shenanigan as well as feeling to me like it's just plain silly. The cover image sets the tone. Too bright colours, too clean and feeling quite dated in style. The inside cover image with the staring fighter pretty much creeped me out. But hey, I would have chosen black and white art in the old school vibe. So, you know, what do I know? So that all sounds very negative. So it's better for me to point out that art aside, I can see the grand potential of the Rollmaster Unified system. It basically feels a lot like the classic game I remember, but with a lot of points cleared up and modified to make them simpler or at least a little less fiddly. The combat system, for example, has a streamlined turn order which uses action points, somewhat reminiscent of Mithras, and runs a good deal faster than combat in Classic or FRP. The trick of printing out your weapon's combat chart and keeping it with your sheet is the way to go if you're not leaning into using digital tools. The process of character creation was, of course, incredibly slow first time out. Given that I'm experienced with Rollmaster, I still found wading through the copious pages of rules long and arduous. As with all things, mastery comes from familiarity and repetition. I got there in the end, but I was struck by the levels of detail that exist on the six-page character sheet, which lists every skill in the game. On the one hand, this means you don't miss any of the many choices available. On the other hand, it's a six-page character sheet. Not a game for the faint-hearted. The big benefit of all that detail, of course, is that you can create a very specific build for your character. First time out, I was building a classic human thief, whom I named Goriel. Can you guess who I was naming him after? And even though the original was a halfling, I just wanted to keep things simple first time, so I might go back and modify my later date. But for this first outing, I found the process highly engaging. The most laborious task is, as ever, totaling skill bonuses, a matter made much easier if you use a digital tool, which automates that process. But I particularly enjoyed the stat generation process this time out, rolling 1d100 three times for each of the 10 stats and then taking the highest as the potential and the median as the temporary value, discarding the lowest. From there, you get to make two tweaks and two swaps to the values, which allows for some customization. I guess, of course, for the neophyte player, making these changes would be like guesswork, but it's a process that rewards system mastery. Speaking of digital tools, by the way, I would recommend giving ERA, the ERA software, a go if you are seriously considering getting into Rollmaster Unified. The core law data files were released along with the rulebook, and this greatly simplifies and automates the process of character generation. 
I've used it with Rollmaster Classic, Rollmaster Fantasy Roleplaying, and with Harp in the past, so I know it's a robust, even if not necessarily very pretty, toolset. If nothing else, it generates character sheets with all the maths done for you. Quote, With Era, you can create Rollmaster characters and then manage their adventures. Players can also monitor their characters from their mobile devices as the action progresses. End quote. I've not tried that mobile option, but it does sound pretty neat. Which brings me to answer my key opening question. Does the recent release of Rollmaster Unified invigorate me to play it again? Yeah, it does. I'm not quite sure how or with whom, but yes, I'd like to play it and give it a more complete test run. I'm curious to muck around with it some more, you know, making some additional characters, trying some simple combats. Whether I'll see it through to the table is in some ways questionable. Rollmaster Unified is competing with BRP and GURPS in my hobby right now, both of which offer rich customization range, but both of which are arguably a little simpler. But you know what? Hey, I guess I enjoy tinkering enough to give Rollmaster at least one decent outing. I think that Rollmaster is a fairly easy access system for play. The challenge, as with most of the games I enjoy, is that character creation front loads a lot of calculation and there are many complex choices to make. This process, which for a human character involves spending 85 development points across dozens of skills and more than 100 talents just to get to level 1, is intimidating. The way in is probably to go with my personal preference for more otherworld immersion. Sit down with a player, open up era, and work together to build them the character they want to play. It's a big investment in time and effort, but it will offer a rich and detailed experience at the table. My guess is that in the otherworld immersed style I prefer, Rollmaster Unified will perform admirably. Just, you know, remember to let me know if you fancy giving it a go. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. As you know, I love to hear from you, so if you've got a question or comment, then please hop over to speakpipe.com slash roleplayrescue, where you can leave up to a 90-second message. That's speakpipe, S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E, dot com slash roleplayrescue, or... If you prefer, just open up a voice memo app on your device, record what you want to say or ask, and email it directly to me via hello at rpgrescue.com. All of these links are in the show notes. There are three calls today. Let's dive in. I have to agree with Jason on the prepackaged worlds. Uh, it is a lot of detail. And it's far more detail than I would ever want to have to memorize or remember in running any game. I do enjoy reading that stuff, though. So, um, I don't know. There's a definite uh, bonus to having that stuff. And perhaps that's why it's made. I always feel that you get more out of a game, especially when you're playing the long game, if everybody at the table is contributing something. You know, I, I think it's easier on, the, on the, uh, the game master to 
be able to create stuff um, based on experiences at the game table and suggestions that are made at the game table. In fact, in our current in-person game, we can almost guarantee that our game master is going to pick up on something that we said and it's going to end up becoming reality for us. So in some ways, we have to be careful what we say. Um, The joke and really the rule is if you say it, it will happen. Jay Hobbs here. I listened to your recent uh, role play rescue on Mega Dungeons and I agree with you mostly I guess it depends on what a mega dungeon is because when you de- most people define a mega dungeon as, you know, underground dungeon crawling. And I think that's mostly what you were talking about. But these days I feel like I would much rather play Barrow Maze than uh, whatever uh, Malashevsky's was. Wimmermount, which is all internal in dungeon delving. Like, I have a few sort of mega dungeon areas. I have the Tumulus in Forlorn Shores. It's like a massive burial mound that has all these burial uh, crypts along the Tumulus along a road. And then on the top, there's adventure. And then internally, there's adventure. And it's all consistent. And I also have the Chasm in uh, Legendary Kalmata that is a massive gorge, but it's also attached, you know, to uh, a the uh, Sicilian tunnels and, and uh, a temple and a, it just has all these different areas that are attached. So to me, that's what a mega dungeon needs to be. It needs to be like a site that has multiple small areas to explore as well as dungeon crawling. Keep it up, brother. Later. H.A. Jason here. Just listened to episode 12.8. Um, the fear starting and the resistance. Great, great episode. And I think you really nailed it. I mean, you have to not only have the intestinal fortitude just to make yourself do it, but have some tools. You know, chunk down those problems so they're smaller bits and they're they're approachable size problems, right? That's very important. So great, great episode. Uh, I am horrified that in my call, I <laughs> I was obviously tired when I called in because I talked about how BX was the the basis of the modern OSR and what they build on instead of, I said Holmes and, and Men, or, and Mulvey. Of course, BX is Mulvey and I meant to say Menser, which is Beckney, but, you know, maybe I'm the only one that caught my flub. Who knows? I doubt it. But keep up the great work. Talk to you soon. So that's it for another week. Massive thanks to Hobbs, Jason and Frank for the call-ins. Please keep them coming. It's speakpipe.com slash roleplayrescue. I really appreciate all of that stuff, guys. Thanks also to the Roleplay Rescue Torchbearers, Shieldbearers and Swordbearers, the patrons who support the show through patreon.com slash rpgrescue. Thanks to John from Tale of the Manticore for all the show music. And a big thanks to you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. My name is Che Webster. This is Roleplay Rescue. See you again next time.
Game On.